Hi, this is Mark Wade, writer of Daredevil, and you're listening to Longbox Heroes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 570 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. I'm Todd, along with Joe. How are we doing today, Joe? Uh, four. Um, but I'm ready to talk about comic books. Mm-hmm. Uh, not as light as a week on news as we've seen, uh, but I'm going to jinx us on air and say, I think it's going to be a short episode, Todd. <laughs> a slender read of an episode, if you will. Indeed. Uh, but uh, this episode number, our uh, area code. So that's nice. Yeah, I don't know. You know, there's a lot of people that uh, kind of hang their hat on like, I don't know what bugs me more. The people that hang their hat on like where they live, mm-hmm. like the very isolated, like the very uh, specified, determined by like an area code or a zip code. Like, and why area code and why not zip code? But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, airline peanuts. What's the deal with them? Um <laughs> Or, like, people that, like, in 2021, you know, I, I get maybe, like, in, like, 100 years ago, maybe 50 years ago, you know, people that were very proud of their uh, heritage, you know, where their mm-hmm. family came from. But minimally, I would say most folks are at least three to four generations removed from Irish or Italian or Russian mm-hmm. or whatever our area predominantly is, you know? Right. Um, like, my kid, if you asked him, like, oh, what nationality are you? He would probably say, like, American? Right, right. You know, and when you look at him, you know, you're not going to see, like, whatever Italian stuff is from me or the Welsh stuff that's from my wife and that sort of mm-hmm. everything. So, I don't know. I think, I think, I, I think if you're just proud of you, of mm-hmm. accomplishments that you did not where three to four generations ago came from or <laughs> what the first three numbers on your telephone number are. Hey, I'm proud of my area code, Joe. Uh-huh. It, I'm going to, that's what I'm going to name my finishing move is the five, seven, Oh, my, my finishing move being eating a lot of pizza and taking a nap, but that's neither here nor there. Oh, okay. Right. So, the only thing sadder than being proud of the area code that you're from mm-hmm. is lying about what area code you're from oh. to be cool. Well, I would never lie to be cool. I'm cool already, Joe. Mm-hmm. You remember when we were 717 and the 570? I remember when we got 570. I did. It told it threw my life upside down. Yeah. Because 717, I could remember that one backwards and forwards. Yep. But not 570. That's completely different, so... Would you would you like to still talk area codes, or would you like to know what's on the show, Joe? Well, this has become hot area code talk, but yes, what do we have on the actual show, Longbox Heroes, today? The un- numero uno DC book gets a new creative team, and uh, Marvel has a bunch of projects coming out, so that's about it in news. Um, also, we have uh, con news, free uh, digital books. Uh, what we read last week, which is also a slender read of a segment, which is just Superman, Son of Kal-El, number two. What we're looking forward to this week. Todd and Joe have issues where we cover the Spider-Clone saga. Hold on one second while I 
swallow a little bit of my vomit. Um, and Jonah Hex, um, also Todd's Art Attack. And at the end of the show, we'll have spoiler-filled talk of the second-to-last episode of Legends of Tomorrow and the latest episode of Star. Well, last week's Stargirl, because Stargirl uh, it airs as we record, Joe. You know, that old wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. Right, and I again, I hate to correct you, and I really could pick that all apart, but I'm just going to pick one. This mm-hmm. actually is the last episode of the season of Legend of Tomorrow. Is it really? Okay, it I thought it was the second to last. All right. Now, see, I when we spoke last week, I was going by IMDb that they had an episode slated for this upcoming weekend. Mm-hmm. But I think because this upcoming weekend is Labor Day weekend... Right. And, you know, obviously after watching this episode kind of gave a little bit of, um, I don't know, closure, let's say, without getting into spoilers, you know? Right, right. Um, um, no, I think, you know what, and that's the thing. So I think you're correct because I, yeah, so it is the second to last episode for the season. I'm going to take that back. I'm going to leave that in. I'm going to leave my mistake in. Right. And you know what, Joe, because I'm a bigger man than you, I have nothing to nitpick about the huge mistake you just made. Oh, so okay. We're all good. Thank you. Thank You're welcome. You. As a benevolent Todd, once again. Uh, so weeks and weeks ago, we discussed the big exodus from some of the major publishers over to Substack. It's been quiet over on the Substack front <laughs> over the last couple of weeks. I think Jeff Lemire just announced some new project over there, but he's kind of already, already been over there. Right. At Substack. And the big exodus was James Tinian leaving Batman. Uh, at the very least, he still says that uh, Nice House by the Lake and Joker are going to run to their natural conclusions, uh, which is going to be what issue 14 on Joker. And then after the six month gap, another six issues of Nice House by the Lake. Yep. Nice House on the Lake. Number 12 is the ending, I believe. Right. Uh, but obviously the big question was who was going to take over the Batman book come December. And this week we found out that it was uh, DC, I would say, journeyman writer over the mm-hmm. last like five to ten years, Josh Williamson. I think most notably he was writing, uh, a v- he had come off a very long run on The Flash. He might have like the top like five longest runs on the flash that I know of. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, he came off, uh, the rebirth run and then just ran it like, you know, all the way up. And they think we've had like only two writers after that. He had a long run and it's one of, I always, I try not to equate it too much to like John's or, or Wade, because those are the, the pinnacle as far as I'm concerned. But after that, it's a, a little bit more of a drop off, but it was a really good, underappreciated run that was didn't really have any good jumping on points. So I do like him as a writer. Mm-hmm. Right. And again, he's not one of my favorites. He's not one of those um, sight unseen sort of folks like a Jason Aaron or an Ed Brubaker or Brian K. Vaughn or someone like that. But uh, I, you know, after the Tom King run on Batman and James Tinney, the fourth was announced. I'm like, ah, I like Tinney and he's all right. Um, it's Batman, you know, it can't be terrible. So I'm going to give it a whirl and I'm glad that I did because it was really good. And, uh, I, I have a feeling that I'm sure Williamson's run on Batman will be just fine. If not better than that. Right. DC doesn't just put Batman in anybody's hands. Yeah. 
Like lately, and, anyway. Right, and we talked about this a couple months back when they when the announcement came through that Nick Spencer was wrapping up on Amazing Spider-Man. Um, you know, Amazing Spider-Man is typically the top-selling, non-event, non-new number one, caveat, caveat, caveat book over at Marvel. Um, and I, I said that they should just take a risk and just put crazy people on there, like some higher. It's like, oh, you're Amazing Spider-Man. Like, Amazing Spider-Man's going to sell regardless. You know, let's put someone new on there. You know, whether you're looking at it from a bean counter sort of way that it's cost effective, that you're paying like a new writer or whatever. And I would love to see Batman, like DC, take a risk, take a chance like that on their main Batman book. I completely understand why they don't, because there's 15 Batman books a month where you can put people like that on those books and put, you know, a name to semi name on Batman itself. Right. I w- I'm actually shocked that it wasn't uh, a little bit anyway, that it wasn't Tom Taylor. But I guess like he's happy with Nightwing and doing Son of Kal-El. You know what I mean? Uh, so but- I would assume and again, this is there's been no announcement to the to the form of this. But part of the reason that Tinian left batman to go to substack was that they were offering him like a five-year exclusive dc contract Mm -hmm. i would guess with williamson coming on who's practically dc exclusive already i think he's got like nail biter and maybe one other thing out there right that are kind of grandfathered in i don't see him launching any new creator-owned stuff not to say that he maybe doesn't have something ready to go as we're speaking about this but I would guess that they probably offered Williamson that five-year DC exclusive deal that they were going to offer Tinian. Right. Right. Uh, and I will say this. I Like, I heard, I mean, obviously, all exclusives are different, but uh, that uh, that they have a clause in that you can do, like, as long as it doesn't affect your, your work, you can do uh, creator-owned stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because that, to me, seems like it would be something that would, like, handcuff, like, them from getting good talent like big names it's like yeah you know i I get paid from batman but if i hit on the creator own thing i'm set for life so let me do both and eh." so i I wouldn't imagine that they would they would do that to him but i kind of see what you're saying yeah like i I assume like if you already have a creator owned project or two out there that have already been running for weeks months years whatever it's not like you sign your dc exclusive deal on a tuesday and then announce your you know, six new creator-owned books the next day. It's like, well, I signed this contract, mm-hmm. uh, but I got to take care of these other six books too, you know? Right, right. Who'd want to do Batman? It's only like, you know, a little, the little book that could, Joe. Well, that's the thing. You mentioned Tom Taylor, and you're like, oh, I'm surprised they didn't give it to Tom Taylor. I think Tom Taylor is probably having a little bit too much fun on Nightwing. Uh, it shows. It definitely shows, so. Yeah. You could write a fun book. Um, in the Batman universe and not have as much scrutiny on you, you know? Oh, yeah, because, like, I, I don't know if you saw some of the stuff with Tinian talking about, you know, like, being scrutinized during, uh, obviously this was under Dan Didio's tutelage, but the whole, uh, it was going to be the 5G thing, and he's like, oh, my God, like, because some of it, I think, did come out in his newsletter and Substack, but he's like, it's like, oh, they were coming like this is not the the visual thing that we have for this character or where we think this character is going. So he's like, here's Miracle Molly and here's all these things. Tell me what you th- what where you think for years these characters should should have been, but they don't because they're new characters and they kind of let them go 
Um, yeah, there's just a whole run. Of, I bet you a whole lot of interference when you're on the like Batman proper book, which yeah. a lot of writers just don't want. And probably the same with Spider-Man too. But I will admit, like a lot of those guys, like Dan Slott and this and that, like over at Marvel, handle it pretty well. You know, DC seems a little different to me sometimes. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I'm off in the weeds, but <laughs> that's okay. So. Uh, Marvel had an announcement today, and I love this. I'm going to say right up front that they announced a bunch of their plans leading up to February of 2022, mm-hmm. but they did it in a way that, uh, you know, obviously it's not the same, but it definitely <laughs> gave you the feel and the look and the whatever of the way that they announced their movies. Right. The, the timeline thingy that they do. And I like, love it. I, I felt like, Hey, you know, whether it's just lip service, um, but the fact that they even took the time to make those graphics, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Joe, the graphics of today for comics are the graphics for movies of tomorrow. Correct. So there they, I don't know. I said this today when we were, I was talking to uh, the definitive uh, Colonel Sanders artist. Um, Disney almost seems to know what they're doing when it comes to promotion. (laughs) It's not like they haven't been doing it for, but again, you know, Warner's been doing it for a long time as well. I just think Disney, Marvel, whatever, kind of sees what the comics are and what they can be, mm-hmm. and that it just takes a little, a little tiny attention, a little bit of attention, to make fans like you and I feel like we're part of the bigger plan. I guess you know. I'm with you. When when that news came up today, Joe, and I saw like the look of it, I was like, "Oh, okay." Like it didn't it didn't like I'm getting everything and this is amazing, but it was just enough to 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 already have that like happy feeling as I'm looking at your announcement, which is like like fifty percent. You know what I mean? So yeah, it works. Right. So when this got when I first saw it at first. So I'm like, oh, these are a bunch of Disney Plus, like, animated shows, I guess, right? hmm And then as I'm clicking on each individual one, it's like, oh, no, these are book announcements. hmm Now, I will say this. A lot of them are just kind of rebrandings of existing books that are out there. Right. Uh, with similar, if not the same, creative teams that have already been on there. A Marvel event, Devil's Reign, is essentially taking over for Daredevil which had its quote-unquote last issue solicited for November. Okay. Uh, It's still the same creative team. It's bringing in the Thunderbolts that were introduced during King and Black into this. Mm -hmm. Then we get Avengers Forever, which is labeling and branding that we recognize as comic book fans. Uh, Essentially, this is a new number one for Jason Aaron's Avengers book. Uh, And if it's going to tie into Timeless, which is going to be some sort of Kang limited series, I'm like, okay, you're singing my tune, Jack. I'm with you, right? Mm -hmm. And then even in the press releases, they're just like, Shades of Disney Plus is Loki and the Time Variance Authority, huh? Yep. Uh, Then we have the one-two punch of the X-Lives and X-Deaths of Wolverine. Right. Uh, We have a new She-Hulk book, again, lining up with the She-Hulk show that's going to be on Disney+. Plus. 
So let's get a new book out there for that. And then Reckoning War, I guess, is the the finale, maybe, or at least a big event on Dan Slott's Fantastic Four. And uh, again, another one ahead of the new animated series, a new Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur book with a top secret creative team. Yep. Um, on the uh, the Reckoning War with Fantastic Four, I'm looking forward to that. I'm almost hoping, and I don't mean this in a bad way, I feel it's run its course. I'm hoping this is like uh, Dan Slott's, you know, you know, jumping off point. Um, but uh, I, I don't know. This one just kind of piques my uh, thing. Because like you said, like all these things seem to be le- like – have leading towards things like timeless is Kang and, you know, uh, uh, she Hulk has a TV show coming up and, uh, moon, uh, girl and devil dinosaur. So, you know, fantastic four has a movie coming up and a couple other things. So it makes me with the X things and the daredevil, because there's already the rumor of Charlie Cox is in the new Spider-Man movie. I don't know if you heard that one who played. Daredevil. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Well, in the not so much canceled as, you know, we're not making any more Dare Netflix Daredevil show. But we'll see. I just think they're all interesting, interesting choices for reasons. And they have the, the like you said, the movie, like, reveals of the, the way they did it. I don't know. I think something's up, to tell you the truth. There's something more than other than just a little bit of, like, Disney nostalgia to release stuff. But we'll okay. see. Anything could happen, Joe. Yeah, but I'm excited. You know, um, it's got me um, like, I, I, like I said, we, I think we knew something was going to be happening with Daredevil. And this is just, like I said, continuations of stuff. But I like how they handled it. Mm-hmm. Comics. When, they're, when they do good things, they do good things. For sure. So this weekend, conventions. Uh, preface this by saying, be safe both for weather and, you know, everything else that's still going on. We are still in the midst of a pandemic. Uh, but there's two biggies this weekend. Uh, Dragon Con in Atlanta. Uh, we got your uh, comic book type folks your, that cross over to sci-fi fantasy. Like a Chris Claremont, a Peter David, and a John Romita Jr. Uh, I saw William Shatner there, at least who, who I recognized. And uh, what's his name? David Eccleson, who was a Doctor Who. Chris, Christopher Eccleston. Christopher Eccleston. That's what I get for only writing down his last name, you know? Oh, well, you know. Well, you he's shouldn't... he's only going to be at Dragon Con on Sunday because he's going to be at Fan Expo Boston on Friday and Saturday. He's he he's borrowing the TARDIS back, Joe, <laughs> so he can travel. Uh, that one, media guests include, uh, as mentioned, uh, Christopher Eccleston, Brendan Fraser, Michael R- Rooker, John Lovitz, of all people, mm-hmm. uh, and Tom Cavanaugh, the uh, greatest actor ever to come out of any of the CW shows. Mm-hmm. And you got comic book folks there, Tony Harris, Yannick Paquette, uh, Rags Morales, Larry Stroman, among others. Mm-hmm. And in, in slight comic book news, uh, comic convention news, they, uh, New York Comic Con announced like one of their first bigger guests, and it's going to be John Cena. Uh, for New York Comic Con, and I'm just hoping, hoping because he stole the Peacemaker suit, 
that he's doing photo ops in the Peacemaker suit. Because if anybody was going to do it, as we always talked about, we want Tom Cavanaugh in any of the costumes of the Wells or Reverse Flash. And, you know, we want Jay Garrick in the helmet, uh, what John Wesley ship. Of them all, Cena would show up to the New York Comic Con in the Peacemaker outfit and do photo ops. I so that and that's like I think we've talked about this on the show. There are no wrestlers at any of these shows this weekend, sadly. But that's like the uh, Papa Shango Godfather one, where you can get you for the two photo ops. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, one one with a skull painted on his face and one without. Yep. I oh. wonder if John Cena would be that industrious. Now I know uh, when you had said that someone was announced for New York Comic Con. From the world of professional wrestling, I thought you were going to say Hawkins and Broski because they have been announced. Oh, they have? They have. See, um, now I'm mad I couldn't get a press pass because I wanted to interview them for this show. <laughs> the $10 Rokeski was going to go, you know, interview them. Um, I will say uh, if between now and then, whatever New York Comic Con is... Once Broski finds out that John Cena is going to be there, John Cena will absolutely be wearing the Peacemaker outfit. Oh, I wonder if they'll have an action figure of him out by then. There is already an action figure out. Wow. Well, then won't one of them have need to have him autograph it for him? No, they talked about it at length on their podcast, the Major Wrestling Figure Podcast, that they don't like it. It's not a good representation of John Cena or the character as he appears in the movie. I think they just hate John Cena. I no, think they actually love John Cena. They're, they're jealous. Of jealousy. It's just reeks of jealousy. All right. Well, a place where there is no jealousy <laughs> is soon to be named network. Uh, it's soon to be named network.com, soon to be named network.tumblr.com, where all the shows uh, in our like minded grouping of folks uh, all live harmoniously. No one uh, upset with anyone else at <laughs> these shows, any beefs being squashed. Or uh, or just drummed up to get some sort of like buzz going behind other podcast appearances, allegedly, allegedly. Whether it be this show, Longbox Heroes, Longbox Heroes After Dark, At Odds with Wrestling, Final Wrestling Place, We Need Wrestling, Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments, Wings on Wings. Uh, as this episode goes live, the debuting Hit My Music uh, is David Kincannon, a.k.a. Uh, the Jingle Meister interviews the boar about his uh, no, no, not about football helmets, oh, but about no. uh, his music fandom, uh, his history in music growing up and his choices in music as a professional wrestler uh, and porch talk. Of course, anytime any of those episodes go live, uh, you could find them at their respective sites. Uh, but you can also find them at uh, soon to be named network.com soon to be named network.tumblr.com. And anytime any one of those folks uh, from those shows appear on other shows and they let me know, that'll show up there as well. So you could always find your favorite soon-to-be-named network cast member on wherever they are branching out to. And if I find out, like you said, that they that they rate one helmet on Hit My Music, oh, heads are going to roll, Joe. Having got a sneak peek of the first episode... Uh, there is no football helmet discussion whatsoever. Okay. All right. That's all I'm going to say is I'm just going to tell Jingle Meister, stay in your lane, man. Stay in your <laughs> lane. Uh, be sure to check out Friends of the Show as well. Uh, Kevin Hellion's Mass Library website where he does his write-ups and reviews 
of other comic books, other uh, Kickstarter projects, crowdfunded projects, things of that nature. Uh, he's going to be building back up. He just had an episode of his podcast, Hell's Talks, come out this past Thursday, where he interviewed some creators on the floor of AnchorCon. Uh, Rick Williams, The Chop Shop, all those cool resident glow-in-the-dark sci-fi fantasy and wrestling figures that he does. Uh, Jason Sandberg's Jupiter and Chris Runt's Battle Monsters. Both listeners of the show both went and self-published their own comic books. Both of those are available on Comixology. Uh, you could also check out our local comic book shop, Comics on the Green. If you do not have a comic book shop in your area or do not have a good comic book shop in your area, by all means, opening the doors to our local comic book shop. Uh, they have a great walk-up subscription business, or if you do not live in the 570, bro, <laughs> uh, they do a mail-order subscription as well, whether you want it weekly, whether you want it monthly, however it is you want it, you're going to get it. And if you get it, you're probably going to get a sketch from our friend Becky, who puts a lot of her original art and process therein up on her social media. And all of this stuff is linked up in the notes to every single one of our episodes. And I think when it comes to like the mail order stuff, because I know for a fact you have like maybe a one in 10 chance that you'll get the definitive Colonel Sander ar artist to do a sketch because he did oh. one today. I saw she 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 was feeling weak, Joe, feeling weak. And he was there. So he took up the slack. So. Oh, boy. I saw somebody post uh, the shot like a shot from that comic, you know. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to like snitch tag Tom in the <laughs> post when I saw it on my timeline the other day. I, I love Tom, but his presence on Twitter is is you know near non-existent. So he needs to hire someone to handle his social media. I'm just I, saying. I I've offered, I've offered, I have so many wonderful ideas that won't get him canceled. Right, and he never takes me up on it. I was like, just give me the the info and the password, and you know. You know, here comes fame right down your lane, you know. So maybe that'll happen one uh, digital sales this year, digital person, uh, like I said, some holdovers from last week with the Dynamite Creators sale, Valiant Exo Manowar sale, Dynamite Omnibuses sale, IDW, G.I. Joe and Transformers stuff, Marvel Shang-Chi stuff with the movie coming out this weekend, uh, DC having a Labor Day sale, which is just like. You know, their usual catch-all, here's everything that we do. You know, the, the the hits, the Batman Year One, the Batman Dark Knight Returns, and some other smack stuff in there as well. And Marvel is having a sale on spectacular Spider-Man-related stuff. I'm sure that's probably coming out of the announcement of the new Spider-Man trailer from last week that, you know, really, what are we going to say about it? It's the new Spider-Man movie. It's going to be awesome, you know? Hey, right. Digital sales, you say, huh? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no freebies, unless I miss that. No, no, that's just me, you know, doing a Todd. Mm -hmm. So let's get into what we read from this past week, uh, and I'm going to turn that over to you, Todd, to kick things off. Right, which is the uh, this week it is Superman, Son of Kal-El, uh, written by Tom Taylor, art by... Uh, 
Jim Tim Tim's I forget his first name. Um, but either way, this uh, takes up where uh, Jonathan Kent Cal El's son has decided that he's gonna. They've decided that he's gonna go to school, and so they've Batman and a couple other people have put together a new identity for him. So he's going off to school in a wonderful wig under the name of Finn Connors. Um, so he goes to school, but something happens and he has to blow his cover almost absolutely immediately. And he feels that he's worried that, you know, that they're going to be mad at him. And there's like cool scenes where he goes to talk to his father. And, and like, as we've said with uh, Tom Taylor before in Nightwing, he totally gets Superman. So the conversations are interesting. And even uh, Jonathan can't ask some, some tough questions, like those questions of why don't you, you know, just do like more. And he's like, it's not my job. Like, you know, I'm not of them. I'm, you know, so I can't, I can only be an example. I can't lead them. And I'm like, okay, this is all perfect. Um, then we find out that Jonathan has been, uh, listening to something called the truth on like, uh, social media, which is this mass person. Um, and he ends up finding out like, what they are and kind of sort of who they are and how it relates to something earlier in the book. I was actually kind of shocked that they didn't uh, lay that out longer that uh, the, the, the person shows up and I'm like, Oh, okay. Like I thought we were really going to, this was going to be like maybe like four issues down the line. We'd kind of get some answers on it, but I liked it. And then Jonathan ends up to take some matters into his own hands and help some refugees. But in doing that, he maybe paints a target on his own back from the country that the refugees are from and their, and their leader kind of like, doesn't like to be showed up. Um, so there's going to be ramifications from that. Um, right off the bat, like, I don't think this book is as good as Nightwing. That's a, you know, I'm, but still a praise. I love this book. Uh, and I, I'm kind of sad that we may not see Superman as much cause he's going away in his own book and this one. But, uh, I do love the way, uh, Tom Taylor writes Jonathan Kent. So I'm really two issues in and I'm really enjoying this book. I'm with you. Um, so I do like, um, I, I get why Superman's not going to be in this. Right. Um, I think we had it here and we had it maybe in the previous issue where uh, uh, Superman Clark says, I'm going away. I'm doing something right. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this is bad on DC's part or whatever, where it's like Superman's going away and we get no little like uh, annotation that says, find out what's going on with Superman, his own book, you know, on sale, mm -hmm. whatever. Right. Right. I think maybe they're taking for granted that we know that this is a Superman book on sale. Mm -hmm. But then on the flip side, at no point do I'm like, Oh, I, I want to know what Superman's doing. Right. In my life, Superman's been gone so many times. I just don't care anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And I like the bit, as you mentioned, where Superman kind of says, you know, he's a strange visitor from another world, right? Mm -hmm. Two Kryptonian parents were, you know, John, uh, his son is Lois and Clark, you know, Lois and Clark's son. So he is, have roots to Earth. So that's why he can be that one that steps up. And I don't know if that's ever been something that they've addressed in a Superman book as to why Clark Kellel Superman never did that, where he just explicitly said, like, I can't rule here. I can't be more of a presence. I know they've done stories like that in the past, 
but not like this, if that makes any sense, where they've done things where, like Superman becomes cold and distant and he has his <laughs> Superman robots that are everywhere and they're watching everyone, you know? No, I will say I have seen this, and I don't want to say excuse is a bad word, but you get what I mean. Right. Um, that I have heard Superman say, he's like, hey, I'm not of here. It's not my place to come here and be like, this is how you have to live. Like he said, I'm more try to do everything I can to be the example to lead. You know what I mean? And I'm like, I always love that. And Tom Taylor gets it because a lot of people don't like, because you don't know it enough. People don't say it. If, if you get my meaning. Yes. Um, I also liked the maybe subversion of expectations regarding the reveal of the person behind the truth. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, I think it's a very subverting your expectations sort of thing, but also quicker getting Jonathan into his own stuff, his own supporting cast, his own rogues gallery, his own Lex Luthor, if you will. Mm -hmm. Well, yep. these are things that we could have taken months or many issues to start establishing and so forth. But here we are now already at the end of issue two, leading into issue three. He's already got a cause that he believes in. He's already got a face of the cause who believes in him. And he's already got someone that he's run afoul. Right. Like in the, in the, the Superman formula, he already has, he has his Jimmy Olsen and he has his Lex Luthor. Like that's really what they're doing. And I, and, and I do, I do do like that though with the truth. I'm wondering if something's up because maybe it was implied that it's a social media thing that is run by multiple people. So, which I've never seen before, but uh, like, you know what I'm saying? Like he could, it could, it could go places like, you know, like there might be some evilness behind the truth, but this person's good. I just feel like they, they did enough to lay some groundwork in this. Like you said, you have the, the pieces that you need. Now Tom can tell the stories of those characters we can get their histories we just get the pieces now so i'm i'm totally with you yep so like i said this was definitely fun uh the first issue i didn't love it was good um and i think the as todd mentioned the biggest problem with this book that it's being written by the same guy who's writing nightwing mm -hmm. and hopefully they'll be crossing over soon oh i'd love that so that's what we both read from this past week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, if you head over to longboxheroes.com, every Tuesday around noon Eastern time, we put up the pull post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home, uh, or you're dreading the five Wednesday month that's kicking off here. So you're going to get a bunch of small weeks, and then you're going to get one giant week thrown in at some point. Mm-hmm. Be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week and even the rest of the month. Um, Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, I am in the lead on Todd still by one correct guess, so I will turn things over to you to see what you can figure out from here. Okay, I'm looking over your list. And like you said, small week this week. Uh, uh, is the book you're looking forward to most the by the writer we just talked about, Dark Ages number 1 by Tom Taylor? It is Dark Ages number one by Tom Taylor, and I'm going to guess that that's the same book that you're most looking forward to coming out as well. The man's on a roll, so yes, it is. 
Yeah, so this is, uh, you know, whether it be an alternate reality, whether it be a what if or what have you, or its own little self-contained thing. Uh, I do remember it was supposed to come out last year, and obviously due to many, many concerns and issues, uh, we're finally getting it. So that's a good thing. Um, I think Tom Taylor has written stuff at Marvel that I haven't read, mostly X-23. Okay, that one I didn't read, and he also did not a spectacular. He did a Spider-Man book. I forget which one it was. Okay, that I that I enjoyed, but I can't remember what the name of it. It was because the adjectives like are are all over the place. But you know sure. what I mean. I do. So yeah, I'm looking forward to see what he could do uh, in kind of a big encompassing world event over at Marvel. You know, maybe it'll lead to bigger things at one of the big two. You know. Yep. So uh, while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Todd and I have done together, whether it be past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, or, of course, the ongoing saga uh, of Todd and Joe have issues talking about Jonah Hex and the Spider-Clone saga. Right. So where are we starting? You started the show, so you start this. Okay, so I will be starting with uh, Amazing Spider-Man 406. Um, so it is the start of a new storyline called uh, The Greatest Responsibility, Part 1 of Tree. Um, right on the cover, Joe, uh, we get introducing the new Dr. Octopus. I had no idea that we were going to be getting a Dr. Octopus with all the tentacled monsters that have been attacking the past couple issues. So uh, after the, the tentacle monsters, as, as I was saying, attacked uh, Seward's uh, computer Seward trainer. Seward's, I always say Seward, but uh Seward trainer. I'm just going to call him trainer from now on. Um, he ends up sending Ben Riley in, to the computer via like virtual reality, which is always a fun thing. Um, so he's going in to see if he could follow the trail of what's happened. And the person who did it ends up sending, you know, virtual reality via antivirus stuff. So he barely gets out with his life because if you die in virtual reality, you die in the real world, Joe. Um, while this is going on, Peter's thinking about like, Oh, I've, you know, was programmed to kill by the Jackal, all that kind of stuff from the past couple issues. And once again, we get a wonderful, uh, you know, three word thought balloon explanation of what's been going on this whole time. So I always love those, but uh, he's worried that something's going to happen to Mary Jane. And she's like, nah, I, we're going to be happy. I can feel it and we deserve it. So it's like, Oh, I don't know that I almost believe it this time. Um, and now we get the real reveal of Doc Ock, the new Doc Ock, and she's singing Itsy Bitsy Spider, which is, you know, which has never been done before or since in a Spider-Man comic. Um, and we end up finding that, like, she talks to her underlings and why they want what they wanted from Trainer's thing, which was a virtual reality uh, stuff, all this stuff that was that would get her the upper edge on it. And it shows how she's so um, mean to her, like her underlings. And she's like talking about like her lout of a father, you know, that like got her here. Um, so uh, Ben ends up finding the Oc thing. There was like an Oc octopus in the, 
in the computer stuff. So they're like, oh, maybe it was Doc uh, Doc Ock before he died, like because they don't know there's a new one. So Peter shows up with Mary Jane, like, oh, you know what, trainer, like if I am do have any like subliminal things left in there, like psychic bombs that can go off. Can you find them for me? So trainer starts like giving him an exam and he ends up giving him the, uh, you know, the, the, the green light. He's like, there doesn't seem to be anything in there. Doc Ock unleashes her virtual reality bomb on people to test it. Uh, so like they like do a Jurassic park thing, but it doesn't quite work. So we're going to see where that goes. Then Peter and Mary Jane have a romantic night on the roof because, uh, They've been given the all clear and the baby moves. And I do like, there is a cute bit where they keep going back and forth on um, whether like that. She's like, Oh, she moved. And he's like, what do you mean? He moved. And I get immediately what they're doing. So that's, that's kind of fun. And then at the end, uh, doc, the new doc Ock hunts down the new lab where trainers at. And she comes in and she's like, Oh, I, I, I want all this stuff or I'm going to kill them. And Ben's like, that's not going to happen. She's like, tell him, tell him that I will do it. And she's like, I know she'll do it because, you know, she's like, because uh, I know her. And he's like, you know her? He's like, oh, Doc Ock's like, yep. Uh, we know each other very intimately, don't we, Daddy? So I guess Trainer is the new Doc Ock's uh, father. So Daddy issues right out of the gate. But I enjoy, like, I, I kind of rib on this issue. But I found out as I was reading, I was like, oh, this isn't, like, terrible. And the stuff between Mary Jane and Peter is really good. Um, and that's all JM again. And he seems to know what he's doing. And I was actually didn't see the uh, the uh, trainer slash Doc Ock father daughter. I thought that they were going to do the angle that she ended up was somehow Doc Ock's daughter. And that's how she inherited the the, the arms. But all around this, this was a good issue uh, of the out of the past couple issues. Uh, yeah, you kind of hit all the points that I wanted to make. Uh, I like that you're like, oh, this was a good issue. Right. Out of <laughs> one out of, you know, so many, you know? No, we're kind of hitting like a crescendo with things here. Um, I did like that you did really hammer home how much virtual reality was a part of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know in the time, I think in the timeline, this came out well after Lawnmower Man. I think we might've even right. been in a Lawnmower Man 2 direct to VHS sequel. Right, right. And we're way before the Matrix, Joe. So. And we're way, a couple years before the Matrix, but, uh, really leaning heavy on how much we all were going to rely on virtual reality for storage space, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> And I like, too, if you get a chance when you get to our comic shop today, uh, go and talk to our retailer because this issue has all the things, even though it's a JM thing that he loves. He loves any video game or virtual reality stories. And he also loves, and I said it when, when I said, when anybody in a Spider-Man comic sings the Itsy Bitsy Spider song. I think they might be up there with Kang and Red Tornado, those two things. And the Toy Man. And the Toy Man. But, uh, yeah, so... Uh, the second issue in the greatest responsibility two of three is uh, Spider-Man 63. Um, it starts off with, you know, Peter. And I like this, this again, where Peter's watching Mary Jane sleep 
And at first you're like, oh, I have to do it. And you're, and you're, and you're worried that he's having one of the mind bombs again, but he just wants to feel the baby kick again. And, you know, uh, she tells him like, I could see you're all like wired for sound. So go out and swing out over the city and, you know, lose some of that energy. Um, so back at the lab with trainer, she's, she wants like all the information, uh, from the computers and, uh, she's going to kill trainer. If she doesn't get it, we end up finding, and look at this, unlike Judas traveler, we find out that she has a uh, force field. That's a very easily understandable power show, <laughs> which, uh, you know, plays its part through out the thing and trainer just keeps like riling her up. Like saying, like, you know, like, uh, what do you want? And she's like, you know, like, now you're going to talk to me. It's too late for that. And Ben's like, it's funny. He's like, I'm not, I don't really see you like this. You might want to, like, dial it back. And they keep going. They keep fighting. And, like, she's going to try and kill him. And uh, she, they, he ends up like, enough of this. Uh, Ben's like, we're going to leave. And Trainer's like, no, no, I want to hash this out. And he's like, nope, take it on. You know, we're going out the window. Um, while this is going on, Peter's running around and he ends up like doing like fun Spider-Man stuff, stopping a bank robbery. And, uh, he ends up, his spider sense is going crazy and he ends up finding like an, seeing explosion off of the distance and he heads toward it, it, which is them fighting on a rooftop. Uh, trainer gets away and Spider-Man shows up, but he gets his, you know, head not like he gets bumped and almost thrown off the roof and killed. But Ben ends up uh, saving him because he's like, oh, what happens to me if I die? Like, I think of, you know, Mary Jane and the baby. I, I, I've got to, to fight to live. Um, so Ben ends up saving him and using his impact webbing to, uh, you know, get through her uh, force field. And uh, but in saving Peter, she gets away. And then there's that whole thing of, you know, he, he's like. Peter, are you okay? He's like, I could have died. Um, my baby would have been born without a father. I've got to see Mary Jane. I've got a decision to make. To be continued in Spectacular Spider-Man, a giant size epic that marks the end of an era and the beginning of a new one, Joe. I wonder what that could be. It really could be anything, Todd, but I do know that it's important enough to get an acetate cover. Oh, Okay. Uh, you know, again, there's a continuation of this. Uh, my only nitpicks or uh, things to discuss. Um, you have the weird father-daughter-son relationship with trainer lady octopus, which is what she will later become. Sadly, not another wild whip situation. She does continue on after this. Mm -hmm. And Ben, where obviously she saw Dr. Octopus Otto Octavius more of a father figure. We don't really know what estranged her and Seward Trainer, her actual father, but obviously she's seeing Seward treating Ben <laughs> like the son that he never had. We get a little bit of that. Of course, also there's some of the dialogue that seems to uh, uh, imply that Lady Octopus has the as a crush or the hots for Ben Riley. Mm -hmm. which is weird. And uh, what was the other thing I was going to mention? Oh, I didn't like the way Ben used his impact webbing in this. You didn't or did? I did not. So previously Why not? he would always use the impact webbing as like stingers. 
or as like some sort of whatever. But in this one, it's like, oh, well, I'm going to just like shoot a little bit of impact webbing on your tentacles and they're going to find the path. It's going to like have a mind of its own and find a path of least resistance and slowly crawl up your tentacle. See, I thought the stingers and impact webbing were two different things. No, I don't know. That doesn't feel like what an impact webbing would do, you know? Right, but the impact webbing, I feel like he got it on the tentacles and to and doesn't the impact webbing expand? So the only place for it to go is through the cracks in the in the the the, the force field. Makes total sense. Nah, I didn't like it. Oh, I don't like it. Uh, makes sense to me. It's the only good thing about the Spider Clone Saga so far is the impact webbing going through cracks in force fields. Okay. But. All right, now on to bigger and better things. Mm-hmm. And that would be Jonah Hex issues 44 and 45, parts one and part two of the Six Gun War. Uh, so we get a bit of a. So this is a bit of a shocker, right? So. <laughs> Uh, right off the rip, Jonah rides in uh, to a town or an area or whatever it is, and there's just people and horses and all sorts of manner of things falling out of the sky. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh boy, is this going to be like some sort of like supernaturally thing or whatever? No, no, it was just a tornado that came through, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so as Jonah is uh, coming through, he's speaking to Major Newberry, who's there. Uh, obviously, there was some sort of deal with the uh, military and the Apache, and uh, they say, oh, yeah, they were going through these escape tunnels, and Jonah's like, ah, you guys are full of it. Those weren't escape tunnels, but before Jonah could really expand further on this, uh, this is when two of Jonah's previous enemies, Quentin Turnbull and El Papagayo, right. have uh, have teamed up specifically to take down Jonah Hex. Mm-hmm. And they do, right in the first issue. Yeah. Uh, now, have we seen these two in this book? No. Up In the current iteration, no. In the Bronze Age run, which is the only run before this, which was Weird Western Tales into Jonah Hex, Turnbull and El Papagayo were in a bunch of different issues. Okay. Uh, Quentin Turnbull, your typical, like, snooty, rich landowner type. Uh, Papa Gallo is, you know, a Mexican bandito. Uh, right. And over the next, over this and the next issue, they really kind of put these two over as, like, big bads when put together are going to be difficult for Jonah to interface with. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some grisly stuff where we see actual maggots crawling through Jonah's decaying face. Mm-hmm. And again, this is a uh, not comics code approved, but definitely not a Vertigo or Black Label book. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're going to bury Jonah Hex after all of this bashing. And famous last words, Todd. As Turnbull says, an unmarked grave is fitting end for the man who murdered my son. And El Papagayo says, I still say we should have slit his throat. And this very easily could have turned from a six-issue uh, arc to a one-issue arc if they just listened to El Papagayo. Right, right. You know what El Papagayo stands for, Joe? No. The parrot. Oh, well, that's why he has a parrot later in one of the issues. Yep, yep, yep. So uh, they bury Jonah in the unmarked grave, but then there are these two grave robber robbers 
where uh, Palmiotti and Gray really lean into the uh, old-timey talk for the two of them. Mm-hmm. But they love dogs, so it's okay. Right. And they rescue Jonah. They see that he's still kicking. We're like, we're going to get you back on your feet. Uh, you need some water. Here's some whiskey, you know, <laughs> as you do. Mm-hmm. And Jonah walks away. We flash forward two weeks later. We're now in Mexico. And uh, I love the bit with... Um, is the, and this is um this is um uh, Batlash, right? Yep, Bartholomew Lash, yes. Right. Uh I love the bit where he gets caught cheating uh in the game of cards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he's uh uh what what is he uh he he's uh he gets caught and he says, I'm he goes, I am playing in your establishment with your marked cards. The fact that I managed to uncover your ruse and turn it against you only serves as my dis- as a display of my superior intelligence. And uh, I love how he just can't help himself with his smugness. Mm-hmm. Um, so as he is about to be descended upon by the people that he is ripping off, uh, series regular, and I would say series favorite, uh, Tallulah Black comes in. Not so much as to rescue him, uh, but obviously Batlash is a sweet talker and he makes a deal uh, for assistance to get out of this jam with assistance from uh, Tallulah Black. And uh, they uh, they leave uh, the saloon and, of course, they're attempting to escape uh, quietly because there is no laws here. But, of course, they bump into El Papagayo and... Uh, they make offense to Tallulah Black's condition of her hideously scarred up face. She gives it back to uh, El Papagayo as good as she gets. And of course, they get jumped upon and they get uh, hogtied and taken off by El Papagayo and his men. Mm-hmm. With lots of insinuations as to horrible things that are going to happen to her, less to Batlash. And as uh, Jonah Hex slowly makes his way to town that has now been all gunned down and torn to shambles, uh, he finds locked up uh, El Diablo. Yep. Lazarus, I think, is his real name. But yes, yes the guy who's possessed by uh, the uh, the El Diablo entity, if you will. So any remarks on issue 44 before we move on to 45? No, other than the fact that I absolutely adore the way uh Batlash and Tallulah Black meet. And then there's like, cause they don't know each other at this point. And as he's talking to her, he's just like, you know, there's someone you remind me of. You know what I mean? And I'm like, to me, that's just laugh out loud funny. You know what I mean? But right. other than that, just fun issue. And I know who El Papagayo and Quentin Turnable are. So like I really don't, you know, I know, but I also feel that the issue is very done well enough that if you don't know who they are, you're left with some questions, but you don't feel completely lost, if that makes any sense. Correct. So, but anyway, that's all I have on this one. Uh, so issue 45. Um, what is the human host for El Diablo? What's his name? Lazarus. I forget his full name, but I know his, one of his names is Lazarus. Right. So El Diablo actually shows up and says that he needs Jonah's assistance to save the human host that El Diablo himself cannot touch. Uh, then we go over to El Papagayo's gang, who, uh, while Tallulah Black is strung up, um, 
with ill intentions to be wished upon her. Uh, there is nothing that El Papagayo or his band of uh, filthy cronies can do or attempt to her. And again, I'm walking a very thin line here. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, that she cannot fail them with simply her words. Um, most specifically, she says, you can't catch a big fish with a little worm. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That and because she was brutally, uh, like, uh, mutilated with, like, the knife and stuff like that. So they're, they don't, they don't like, like, her scars and stuff like that. And the, there's insinuations on other things, but go ahead. Yes, yes. Uh, so Jonah is attempting to save Lazarus, of course, at the behest of El Diablo. Uh, Tallulah Black is no longer separated and put back into the same hole with Batlash. They have a back and forth where Batlash uh, accuses Tallulah Black of being in love with Jonah Hex, and she has never heard such uh, an offensive thing, of course. Um, and I love their she doth protest too much sort of bit that happens there. And uh, Jonah, of course, now has Lazarus by his side, knows that they need to hunt down Turnbull and El Papagayo. And uh, Jonah enlists the uh, help of the local Apache tribe. Yes. Because nope. Turnbull's people are taking the gold off of their land. Mm -hmm. uh, specifically, the Apache leader, Blue Eagle. Yep. And... Uh, he uh, essentially Joan is like, listen, I need your help. Um, you know, I'm here to avenge whatever these folks did to you. Uh, but uh, Turnbull's mine. Mm -hmm. And I do like that. Blue Eagle's like, there's something else. Hex. The Mexican has two prisoner. One's a yellow haired man and the other's the angriest white woman I've ever seen. And again, this was 1925 or, nine, you know, 18, whatever it was. So, again, there weren't that many angry white women at the time. Yep. Uh, so Batlash and Tallulah break themselves out. They push and push and push, and they get the bars off of their window. Uh, they tumble down the side of the building. They fall uh, not to their doom, but to uh, El Papagayo and his men, who are just like, yeah, we've been sitting here watching you guys all night. Get through, get through. We were finally waiting for you to come out. Uh, Batlash seems to be worse for wear. I think he was kind of worked over a little bit more than Tallulah was. Mm-hmm. Tallulah takes down a bunch of El Papagayo's men, which alerts the rest of the men to put a stop to their escape attempt. And uh, the issue ends with them about to be executed. Yep. So uh, here we are, 44, 45 issues into this run on Jonah Hex, and we've gotten like a two issue here, maybe even a three issue here. But the fact that this is one being set up right from the rip as a one of six uh, two of six at this point, right? Mm -hmm. And also the fact that we are getting uh, a threat too big for Jonah to handle on his own. And, you know, whether it be willingly or not, Jonah rounding up all of the other supporting characters that we've met over the last 40 some odd issues uh, to have this full on assault against Jonah's enemies. I love this. Yep, I, I love the fact that it's the super team now. Like we've we've had over forty issues, like you said, to establish all the relationships, whether it be El Diablo and Lazarus, Batlash, Tallulah Black, and it's like, all right, 
now we're all together, like not all together yet, but you can obviously see the band getting together. And I love the stuff, especially in this issue where Batlash and Tallulah and, you know, Tallulah protests too much. But we see as ornery and as terrible as Jonah can be that genuinely Batlash, Tallulah and Lazarus like him. You know, like we know what you're capable of, but you're a good man at like at heart at times. And I just like the idea of, you know, I don't know how to say it. Like the, the, the old West justice league is, you know what I mean? And I'm having a blast and I love the, the two big villains are his are pretty much what they have to go against. And we'll see, we'll get more. I, cause I, I look to see, um, cause I forgot how much was in this because I know Turnbull's story. Um, we're going to get why he hates Jonah uh, before this is all over. So your questions will be answered. And Perfect. yeah, yeah. I don't want to say anymore, you know? So next week uh, we have uh, issues 46 and 47 of the Jonah Hex story parts uh, three and four of this big six, six issue event and spectacular Spider-Man 229, an extra sized acetate cover issue. The end of an era. Odd. Okay, is it the whole thing that we're doing, reading the Clone Saga? No. Oh. More on all of that next uh, next week. Okay. And while you're over at longboxheroes.com, like I said, be sure to check out our store. We can get shirts and pins and stickers with our fancy logo on them. Uh, if you want even more things with more fancy logos inspired by this show... Longbox Heroes After Dark, Adults with Wrestling, Final Wrestling Plays, and even the upcoming Hit My Music. Head over to our T Public store, uh, short linked at tinyurl.com slash longboxheroes, where you can get any and all of those designs and everything from cell phone covers to notebooks to everything in between. Uh, also, sign up for our Patreon, patreon.com slash longboxheroes. $5 a month is going to get you two bonus shows monthly from Todd and myself. Uh, one previewing the past where we look at 30 years ago to the month's previews catalog to see what the uh, comic book industry looked like uh, then. Uh, you'd be surprised at how many parallels there are to now, uh, 30 yep. years ago. It's just almost as though uh, it's poetry, so it rhymes. Uh, also, six never seen movies. Todd assigns me six movies I've never seen. I assign Todd six movies he's never seen. And we alternate uh, month to month. This September's feature, picked by me, is going to be the uh, 90s kung fu cult classic Ricky O, a.k.a. the story of Ricky. And uh, if you know that movie, you know that movie. And if you don't know that movie, you're in for a pleasant surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, of course, that $5 level is going to get you uh, Longbox Heroes After Dark about three days before everyone else. So you could listen to these shows in the correct listening order. Uh, another way that you can help us out, of course, is make any and all of your purchases through the Amazon banner. Click through at the top of the page at longboxheroes.com. Does not cost you anything extra. They, Amazon, call it an advertising fee. I call it the thing that makes Todd happy. And at the end of the month, when he gets his cut of the money, yeah. Uh, some of the notable purchases to the Amazon click through this past week include uh, somebody purchased a pack of Uniball, Jetstream, Extra Fine, and Micropoint click retractable rollerball pens with rubber grip. Oh, pens. 
Oh, mm. be still my beating heart pen talk. Almost as good as zip code talk and area code top talk at the beginning of the show. If you change one letter and make it pin talk, I'm all in. No. Uh, somebody purchased a pack of men's Hanes X-Temp cushioned crew socks. Uh, somebody purchased a mounted adjustable microphone boom arm. Mm. Uh, somebody also purchased a Funko Pop from The Mandalorian, a hooded Ashka with dual sabers, which is an Amazon exclusive. Mm-hmm. And somebody purchased an RGB gaming mouse pad, UTech large extended soft LED mouse pad with 14 lighting modes and two brightness levels. Wow. Todd, I'm going to have you know, as someone who is constantly in the market for a new mouse pad, mm-hmm. the mouse pad pricing scheme is way crazy, right? Mm-hmm. So to get a normal, just run-of-the-mill mouse pad, unless, and like, you know, uh, your local, uh, you know, lawyer or bank or whatever it is, don't give them out for free like they used to back in the day, you know? <laughs> right. So if you just want a normal, regular run-of-the-mill mouse pad, standard edition, you're spending like five to seven bucks for a mouse pad, right? This mouse pad, which is like the size of your desk and has... <laughs> Several different lighting modes. I don't know why. Is twenty dollars, right? Well, that's a good deal. That seems like a huge disparity between what it does and what the price of it is. You mean in a good way, though, for the buyer? In a confusing way. What do you think that mouse pad should cost? Fifty. If. The fact that it lights up, it should be at least $50. Okay, that's what I figured. That's the direction I figured you were going in. And I think just a regular run-of-the-mill mouse pad should be like 99 cents. Mm, see, I just rip off the top of old pizza boxes and use them for mouse pads. Now, see, I just I just fold a piece of paper in half and I do that. Exactly. What does that cost you? Oh, yeah, you know, whatever the paper costs, which is like pennies on the dollar. But still, you know, it's... Mm. Sometimes it's nice to have a mouse pad that's just not like an old piece of scrap paper that's like now bled through because, you know. Right, right. I have a few mouse pads I'll get you with a few people on it that you'll enjoy. So. Oh, thank you. Yep, for Christmas. Hold your breath. You're getting mouse pads. All right. Well, thank you to anyone and everyone who made any purchases through the uh, Amazon click-through uh, this past week, this past month, or whenever. Mm-hmm. And uh, Todd, did we have any art attacks this week? We only had one from Matt Turner. He had a new death of Matt Turner shirts with art by Alex Sanchez. Um, so I get, obviously, it's, you know, the Superman-like symbol with something on it and the blood dripping down. So I'm guessing, because I, you know, I don't know, this is like a his symbol or something, Matt Turner symbol. So, uh, like I said, it looks like the Superman symbol, but uh, the classic death version. Uh, it's pretty cool. I like it. And it's on black T-shirts, so I can get behind that. Right. There's been a backlash lately online of people saying that black T-shirts are bad. And I say, fooey on you. Uh, but, yeah, you can see the stylized M&T in there for Matt Turner, just like a Superman logo. Uh, the bloody S. Uh, if you are going to a local independent wrestling show or if uh, Matt has them available, he's a, he's been a friend for some 20-plus years. He's been a longtime listener of the show. Um, 
I'll I'll let him believe that the Jerky Boys references are for him. Mm. Um, Sometimes that, they're, they're just natural in the Clone Saga books. What can we do? Correct, correct. Uh, but definitely support uh, Matt and all that he's doing if you're a uh, professional wrestling fan. Or if your initials are also MT, that's a way to, you know, kind of get a cool design shirt that already has your initials on it, you know? When we had the metal shop, that's what we used to write on the oxygen tanks when they were empty. MT. That's the truth. That's how we do because you'd have them lined up against the wall. You'd, you'd be like, oh, I don't know if this one's full or not. So there's one emptied. You took some some chalk and empty. You guys were ahead of the time. Ahead of we the curve. Were. Ahead I, of the something. I was lived while you guys were living in tw- uh, 2002. I was living in 3002. Yes. <laughs> so I think that's it for the main show outside of getting into some TV talk. Yep. All right, so we're going to start with Stargirl, since it's the oldest. We're talking about last week's episode of Stargirl. And mm-hmm. uh, this was more shade. And the I would say I can't believe they waited this long for the debut of the Thunderbolt. Yep. And with a flashback to seeing Johnny Thunder in the green suit with the bow tie, I... I, I I popped like big, Joe. I popped big. Um, the only gripe I do have about the Thunderbolt is I don't like Jim Gaffigan as the voice. Uh, it was too... And again, I don't want to say distracting is not the word. He has but a it was very... Too, it was too noticeable. That's what it is. He has a very distinct voice. So I'm immediately not thinking Thunderbolt. I'm thinking Jim Gaffigan. Now, that being said, if I'm the casting director, you know who I'm going to cast as the voice of the Thunderbolt? Can I guess? Go ahead. Gilbert Godfrey. Gilbert Godfrey, of course. I know where you're going. I know where you're going. While Gilbert's voice would be distracting, it would be distracting in a fun way. Not that I have anything against Jim Gaffigan. Uh, I only wish that they worked in a Hot Pockets reference just for the Mm -hmm. uh, Gaffigan fans out there. Give it time. Well, um, you know, I would say that pretty much like the that. So it's tough to say like what the A story and the B story is on this because they both kind of get like equal time. There is really no C story in this, right? Right. Uh, you know, you get the stuff, of course, with uh, Mike Whitmore. He's been already um, targeted to be a new member of the Injustice League. Right. What do they call it in this? The Injustice Society of America. Injustice Society of America. Uh, he definitely feels left out, of course, not included in all the superhero stuff. Uh, he gets bullied on his paper route. Uh, he grabs the pen, and the pen is giving him as many signs as they possibly can um, to say, so cool, which is the mm-hmm. words that makes the genie come out of the pen. Mm-hmm. And... As soon as the genie comes out, and I'm like, we already saw Johnny Thunder in the green suit with the bow tie. The show has established um, how deep into the JSA Justice Society era continuity, like the minutia of it, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, are they going to do the thing where you have to be super specific with the genie? And I'm like, oh, oh my God, they did. And it was great. 
the bit that they do with the whiteboard, and I was talking with the fancy gentleman today. I was like, first of all, anytime you see a whiteboard or a chalkboard in a DC project, it just it's immediately feels good, and I feel like Rip Hunter should be involved somehow. But then, like when they read the wish, and it's talking about looking for the shade. And it's like, but not any shade, like the actual villain, not not one that's on a lamp. And I was like, oh, my God, and they do the montage of everybody like erasing the board and writing their little bit. I was like, this is fun. What's they played some song. And I was like, I'm I'm down with all of this. I'm down with all this. Like I said, other than the Jim Gaffigan voice, but uh, it, it was fun. And I love the fact that like because uh, I think Adam, he when we talked, he didn't like the Thunderbolt. Like I, but he's never been a JSA guy. And I'm like, oh no, I love the fact that this ludicrous thing that has the most power in the world is just like, don't mess it up because it will go sideways on you. You know what I mean? Like, like terrible things can happen and funny things can happen. It's just so much power in like, in, in, in randomness. So I, I always enjoyed Johnny Thunderbolt, uh, Johnny Thunder and the Thunderbolt. And yes. now to be Jakeem, you know what I mean? Right, and then we get the bit, of course, where Pat is like, I want to speak to the Thunderbolt alone. We get the bit where uh, Pat keeps trying to take the pen away from Mike. Pen keeps going back to Mike, back back to Mike. And again, I don't know if they really got this deep into it in the comics, or at least what I read of these comics, Mm -hmm. where the Thunderbolt kind of finds someone who is an outsider, someone who maybe is being unrecognized. Or alone. Or alone, alone or something like that, yes. See, I don't remember that. I remember Johnny uh, being like a klutz and like, you know, like on the... So there was kind of a thing with that and then Jakeem kind of having it, but I, I, I don't really remember if that was a key part of it or if it's brought new to the TV show. But either way, I kind of like it. So. Right. Um, so again, we get the bit, of course, where the Thunderbolt ends up going to Jakeem because, you know, we've been teased Jakeem the whole time as well. Mm-hmm. And we never got a chance to meet Jakeem or find out what his deal was. But, you know, he's a friend of Mike, so he's probably very similar to Mike, he gets the Thunderbolt, so we're going to see how he comes along from there. And it's going to be interesting um, if and how Jakeem becomes a member of the team. And Mike technically was not allowed to be a member of the team, I guess. Yep. Yep. Uh, so all of that stuff is going to be very interesting how that gets to pan out. So, again, that's kind of your A story. But then, of course, uh, your B story is all the stuff with the shade. Yep. As much as uh, I love that stuff, I love the shade even more. But go ahead. Yeah. So uh, the actor who portrays the shade in this is great, was great, handled stuff great. The show itself does a great job of putting over how powerful and how much of a threat the shade is. And of course, the shade is being mysterious. The shade is being, I don't want to say duplicitous, but he's not giving them any information. He's like, listen, I'm here for something. Leave me alone. I'm not here to cause any trouble. You coming here is causing more trouble than what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And but I like the fact that they're like, but you were with the ISA, and he's like, ah, our 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 goals ran together for a little bit, but in the end, and I love this because you know the icicle was going to change things for the better in his mind. He's like, 
He's like, the only thing worse in this world is someone who's trying to rule the world is somebody who's trying to save it. And he's like, so I want none of that. I'm just going to do what I do. Sit down, drink the tea. You leave. I'll get my stuff and I'll be out of Blue Valley in no time. And they end up, you know, Mike ends up making a mistake and coming in and the shade just hands them their lunch, boy. And right, I love, without even getting up from his chair. Oh, yes. Like, almost, like, doesn't he have, like, the teacup in his hand the whole time? Yes. And they just, he just, he just lays them out. And I'm like, God, I forgot how much I love the shade. And just the fact that James Robinson is, is an executive producer on these episodes, mm-hmm. fantastic. And, of course, we find out that uh, the only thing that the shade took uh, from that estate sale was an empty box. Maybe had some costume jewelry in it, but no. We find out that the uh, Eclipso Black Diamond was in there. And we see the bit at the end with the shade off alone, essentially muttering to himself that with the Eclipso Diamond being out there, those children are in terrible danger. So it's not so much as a baby face turn, but we just got this established thing of how powerful the shade is. And now we're going to get the bit of the shade versus eclipse. So I'm sure at some point during the season, it's going to be awesome. Right. Uh, I think that they were just trying to hint. Cause like, we know stuff about the shade that they were just trying to hint like, you know, that he, he's like, Oh, like stating that they're, that the eclipse is going to kill the kid, but they kind of give you a hint. Maybe he's concerned. You know what I mean? But we'll see. So, yeah. I think he needs to wear the black sunglasses more, but otherwise, perfect. That's my nitpick. You're allowed to have it. But I think um, if you're going to do the black sunglasses, the dark sunglasses, you're going to have to have, like, spooky eyes to go along with it. No, I think you just need those little sunglasses that he wears. I'm not – they're not, like, big shades. They're, like, the little spectacles – don't care. That would just look awesome. But gotcha. as, long, as long as he wears the top hat, I'm okay. So let's uh, move over to uh, Legends of Tomorrow, and I'll let you kick things off from there. Right. Since uh, we've last left, uh, the uh, Bishop has been tempting uh, John Constantine like that he could help him. So uh, the Legends rush to john constantine's house they find him there and they end up trying to talk to him and zari's like you know wait a minute he's been saying the same things kind of over and over um and they realize that he's just a magic spell like a a, an illusion whatever you want to call it and in that bishop and john have steal stolen the wave rider and they go to find the fountain of imperium which i know the name of uh so uh, but along the way, Spooner and Astra were on board, so they go back with them, and they find out that the the fountain is in Texas in the 1920s, which now we're doing a rip-off of Let There Be Blood kind of a deal with the evil like uh, guy who wants to drill for oil, which is a... You know, a play on the name of the episode, which is they're gonna, which is this episode is called "Let There Be Brood," which we'll get to in a minute. Um, and we find out that the mother and this little girl in the 1920s is Spooner keeps having this feeling that it's it's her mother, and it turns out to be. And she decides she's gonna go and save the mother, like go like talk to the mother. And Ash was like, "We can't do this. We have to stop John." It's like, "No, no. If it was your mother, we do it." 
So they go and John and Bishop end up finding where kind of sort of the fountain is, but they have to figure out how to bring it out. And there's this whole thing with mushrooms and mushrooms are aliens. I'm not going to go into the whole detail, but John ends up running into the little girl and she brings him home and they end up seeing Astra and Spooner there. And John having touched the little girl, like touching the little girl's hand when they were talking, he has her whole story and he goes back and tells Spooner like, Oh, you're not like, you're not lost in time. You were, Back then, and you were uh, saved by the fountain because the evil guy kills your mother and they shoot you through time to save you. And now you're infused with the power of the fountain. I want it. We're going to work together and uh, do all this stuff and get me the power. And if you give it up willingly, you could stay here and save your mother. Um, He goes back and uh does a deal with bishop that he's going to make him worthy to to get the power because you have to be good while this is going on they uh the legends need a time ship so i can't think of the alien's name i always forget her name do you know it off the top of your head uh as i'm looking over my notes here the mother of uh mixed babies the kayla kayla so they decide that they're going to put a message out there on the uh, intergalactic social media, or as I call it, Spacebook, Joe. <laughs> um, so uh, that he's, I guess they use like, I don't know, peppers and stuff, but they make it like that he had the, had these, the brood with him, and she comes to be like, oh, like, what is this? And he's like, oh, it was just a ruse. We need you and your time ship. They go and they end up saving uh, they're like, oh, we're going to find the ship. They find the brood, but Bishop left a bomb. And he's like, you only have so much time to save all 48 or whatever it is. They end up saving them all but one. Mick goes back to get it, and the bomb ends up killing him, um, burning him alive. And while this is going on, uh, John was going to double-cross Bishop, and he injects the thing that would make him worthy. But Bishop ended up putting poison in it so it would kill the fountain and the mushrooms thereby because it was a defense mechanism from aliens the aliens could come to earth and destroy because he tried to save it twice got him killed he's like let earth's fate be what it is and then i could fix it from there um but zari gets to see john just before he dies and gets swallowed up by the mushroom magic or whatever you want to call it um and that leaves us with what's going to happen in the uh next episode um did i miss anything uh, no, uh, I say that's a lot. Um, Spooner, who is the newest uh, member of the cast, mm-hmm. uh, I thought her stuff, and again, I, I'm going to attribute this to the uh, actress who plays her, and again, I, I forgive me, as I don't know her name off the top of my head, uh, Lisette Chavez. Mm-hmm. Uh, the stuff with her and her younger self and her mother, the acting on that was so great. And it made you care so much about what was going on with this character that we, you know, recently have been introduced to just, you know, this season, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the whole thing of Spooner still trying to figure things out that maybe they had taken her mother from this time, but in turn, it was her that was taken. Right. Uh, from the time I like that little bit of it. And again, I don't want to say a misdirect, but uh, and of course, we get to the bit where the you know that young spooner needed to be taken so that the timeline could be 
completed, but of course they do prevent the mother from being killed, so who knows what that's going to do to the timeline. Uh, and we get two big, I would say, deaths. Like, not in pen, but in pencil. Oh, um, definitely in pencil. Uh, you know, Mick gets blowed up real good. Uh, right. But he's a fireman, so I don't know uh, how he's going to come back from that. But if anyone can, it's him. And uh, after John is poisoned, uh, after drinking Bishop's potion, that's going to make him uh, the nicest man in the lands uh, so that uh, the fountain will accept him. And uh, John is essentially like become one with the earth mm -hmm. and is gone. So it was like two big character like deaths with a question mark in this episode so uh that's why i thought i'm like oh these are going to be your cliffhangers for next season but we still have one more episode this week right i think they're i think both or at least one is coming back somehow but we'll see um you know i could maybe uh guess that uh if anyone's not going to come back it's going to be mick why I think it's going to be John Constantine because there's there's rumblings of that Justice League Dark TV show for HBO Max, and anytime they do something else that's more high profile than the CW, they yank those characters away. Like anytime they when they decide they're going to do that first Suicide Squad movie, they did a whole Suicide Squad team in Arrow, and then it was like yoink, we just killed them all off off camera and stuff like that. So I could see Constantine going away. But that's not 100% that we're going to get that Justice League Dark show. So, I don't know. But I really like this. Um, you know, obviously shorter seasons and it's going to roll into like only a month off in between uh, this season and next. Um, Legends is always good, man. You know, there's there's more hits. They may not be home runs, but they're like walk around doubles, you know? Yeah, there's, they're always fun at least. Yep. And I forget what episode, like if it was this episode, there was another like meta thing that they did. And uh, Tom put it best. I was talking to him today about it. I, I said, I said, like there was a point, I, like, cause we we're talking about how much, like, I don't like the seat, like some of the other CW shows. And I'm like, but there came a point with legends where they just stopped caring, like about like what people are going to think. And he goes, he goes, yes, they stopped caring about what people think. Um, and they, but they stopped caring, but they didn't give up. Those are the two important things. And I'm like, yes, that's perfect. They don't care, but they, but they're still giving it their all. So. Fun. Right. They're not trying to serve a master or fit into the same slots with the other CW shows. Mm -hmm. It's like, we're going to do our own thing and you're either with us or, you know, either you're with us or you're not. Yep. We want everyone to be part of our like weird band of whatever we are and uh, everyone welcome or, you know, enjoy your other shows that, you know, aren't as fun as us. Right. Go with your speed force lightsabers. We'll be over here. Exactly. Uh, so I think that's it, huh? Yeah, I think that's everything. All right. Well. Uh, thank you, everyone, uh, for hanging in with us. I think this ends up being a normal length episode as opposed to a short episode. Yeah, um, I think so. Episode 570 of Longbox Heroes for Todd. This is Joe saying thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Boo!
You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Network.